There was another piece, but I didn't want to keep talking. I have so many. No, no, I have a lot of tangents that I could could go from there. (laughs) Hey, welcome to Marginally, a podcast about writing, work, and friendship. I'm Olivia, a consultant living in Ukraine and London, working on a novel and daydreaming about lots of other projects. And I'm Megan, a librarian and freelance indexer writing about complex women's friendships for both young adult and adult audiences. We're here today with Jenny Nash, book coach and founder and CEO of Author Accelerator. Jenny has spent more than 30 years in the publishing industry with nine books under her belt and more than a decade coaching best-selling authors like Lisa Crone and KJ Delantonia. She definitely knows what she's talking about from both sides of the writing desk. Jenny's latest book, Read Books All Day and Get Paid for It, is about the book coaching industry and came out in January. She sat down with us this week to talk book coaching, why you should get one, when to know you're ready, and how she works with her clients. And we also ended up getting a little mini coaching session ourselves. We hope you love listening as much as we love talking to Jenny. You can find Jenny online at JennyNash.com, that's J-E-N-N-I-E-N-A-S-H, or AuthorAccelerator.com. If you're interested in what's probably her most famous tool, the super useful inside outline, head to authoraccelerator.com slash marginally. And we hope you enjoy this conversation. So thank you for coming on our show. Um, And I guess we kind of want to jump right in with some questions about book coaching. But maybe if you can tell us about your journey on, you know, how you became a book coach and why you're passionate about book coaching. And then we have more more specific questions as well. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so I came to book coaching by accident. I was a full-on writer. It was my career. It was what I was doing. I was doing really well at it. I mean, insofar as I was a solid mid-list writer, which is in some ways a great place to be because you know, you've made it, you're doing it, you're in it, but it's also some kind of hell because <laughs> you're a mid-list writer, right? And, and you know, trying to break out and trying to get traction. And that's the part a lot of people don't talk about about writing is it's not just getting the agent and getting the deal. It's, it's making a career and making a sustainable career. You know, so I was doing it, I was doing well. And I started teaching in the UCLA writers program which is actually the largest adult ed writing program in the country and i was teaching memoir and i had it turned out that i had this super market focused mindset i just was always thinking about especially with memoir there's so many people that are called to write their story and want to write their story but they haven't done the work of writing for the market and that's really different from writing to the market like it's writing to the market is like oh vampire stories are hot. I'm going to write a vampire story. I do not advocate that. I don't recommend that. But writing for the market is just understanding how are books bought and sold? What do they look for? You know, they meaning agents and editors who are buying books, but also readers, because a lot of people go direct to readers now. You know, what does the market reward? What does it need? And especially with memoir, I felt like I had to hammer away that you know just want to kind of write a story and that's 
only the start of what you need to do. So I had that mindset and I kind of had that reputation and I quickly learned that I was pretty unusual. A lot of, a lot of the way that writing is taught is very craft based. So it's like, this is how you write a scene. This is how you develop a character. This is how you write good dialogue, all super good things. But I don't think any of it matters if you're trying to get to the marketplace and you don't know how to do that. None of that's going to matter. So what happened was one of my colleagues at UCLA asked if I would help her write a nonfiction book from beginning to end because she liked this market-focused strategic mindset that I had. And I'd never done that before, but I said, yeah, we can do that. Let's, let's do it. So we uh, created a framework and I helped her from zero all the way to getting a book proposal and getting an agent. And that person in that book turned out to be Wired for Story, Lisa Cron's big breakout writing book. So um, it made her whole career as a speaker. She's a super popular, you know, very well-respected speaker. And it totally changed the trajectory of what I was doing. Because she got a two-book deal at a, a Random House Imprint. And then the next person who asked me to help got a deal at Scribner and all of a sudden I just had people knocking at my door for this system and this process and this method and and I started doing it and I was better at it than I was at a write, as a writer so I kind of just went for it and that's that's how I came to start Author Accelerator and be a book coach and um leave the other really behind. Yeah, no, I, and I like on your website, you talk about how you're just passionate about, you know, helping about the writing process and about other people's writing processes. Um, can you talk a little bit more about why specifically you're passionate about it or kind of what you yeah. love about it and what a good coach would love about it, if that makes sense? Like, what can you look for when you're talking to a coach? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much to say. So I love it because the creative process is super messy, right? It's like total chaos. And, and when you're doing it your own self, that's part of the pleasure is kind of trying to un, untie the knot or figure out what, what you really think or want to say or what the structure or path of this work is going to be. Like that's what we all love about creating things. And there's total joy in that. And, um, but we also know there's so much frustration and doubt in that. And it turns out that what I'm really good at is that process of being in that messy process with people. And it, I have a way and a method and a system for being in that with people and helping them through it. And it's just so gratifying to help them out of being stuck or being, you know, unable to the thing about writing is like it's different from it's different from so many other art forms and so many other ways you could spend your time or energy because you're literally raising your voice right you're you're taking up space with your voice and you're saying i believe in this thing and i think other people should hear this thing i believe like it's very deeply rooted in um in being and being whole and being visible and being heard and the process of getting someone from that confusion and doubt and and chaos to that clarity and that confidence of being able to do it it's a total thrill it is a total thrill and and I have 
confidence that I can get anybody there. That's the thing I've come to believe. And so I kind of have a, a, it's a total rush to take somebody who's just like, I don't know. And I don't think I can. And will anybody care? And, you know, all that stuff and get them to that place. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean getting them an agent and a book deal. Like I can't guarantee that. I can't promise anybody that, but I can promise that I can get them out of that chaos. And I just love doing that. I think it's so satisfying and so gratifying. And um, I mean, just from like a full on ego place, <laughs> like let's keep it real. It's pretty cool to have somebody say, you made my dream come true. You helped me do this thing. I do my life that I didn't know I could. And like, that's amazing. So from my side, that's what I love. And, and then from the, on the writer side, I just happen to believe with my whole being that to do your best work as a writer, you really need to have somebody in it with you, unless you're a total native genius. And there are those people. And a lot of the people that we hold up and revere, you know, in our um, culture are writers who sort of just have it, like they just can do it their own selves. And that myth of the, the genius in the attic spinning the tail and the overnight sensation or they're discovered or, you know, that whole thing like is so real for so many of us. And we, we wish that would happen to us. And, and I, I often call it the getting picked mentality, like pick me, pick me, I'm going to get the big book deal and the big win and the big advance and the big overnight thing. And it just really does not happen that way for the vast majority of people. And what works is having somebody in it with you, nurturing the project and helping you along. So I both like book coaching because of what it feels like to do it, but I also believe that it works. So I, it's like a win-win. Yeah. Well, so before, cause the kind of tangents that I want to go on take us a little bit away from coaching, not exactly a little That's bit so away, fun. but, um, so I don't know, Olivia, if you wanted to go ahead and ask about how do you, you, not just what do you look for in a book coach, but how do you know, um, what is it that you said? Not when is it? When is it not time for a coach? Or yeah, like when is it time for a coach? And what when is it definitely like? You know, I, I know on your website, and it's something I really respect about Author Accelerator is that you know there's a form you have to fill in, and it's pretty intense. Actually, I've gone on and like I was like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for this, and and actually <laughs> didn't. <laughs> I was like, no, I haven't gone far enough. Um, but I think that's really good to kind of. I mean, for you personally, to make sure that you get the right quality of inquiries that you actually need. But I also think it helps people to figure out, like, when are you ready for a coach? Like, and when are maybe, when is it maybe not that useful for you? Totally. So that is done on purpose. And I recently had a gentleman email me <laughs> saying, you know, you would get a lot more people if you didn't have such a scary form on your website, <laughs> you know, and um, it's by design precisely for the reason that you're saying is, is that, so look, what we're talking about here is really important. And what we're talking about is that there's a difference between writing because you're learning how to write or writing because like, there's so many reasons to write. Writing is, is an amazing therapeutic tool. It's an amazing way of understanding your own mind and your own head and your own life. It's an amazing way of expressing what's inside you. 
it like there's so many really excellent reasons to write and what happens i think is that people get confused by those things and then writing to be read so writing to be read is is a whole different ball game and i think too many people confuse those first things with the writing to be read thing and and they maybe they like have a writing practice and they love to write or maybe they have a a blog or this is like a classic example you know those um those i can't remember the name i think it's called like caring bridge like if you have a very ill person that you can write updates for people and let them know how everything's going and they're beautiful and i've been on the receiving end of many of them and they're such a service to a loving community around somebody who's ill but what I see this happen time after time after time is people will do that. They'll be the writers of that. And they'll say, I wrote this blog or this newsletter or these dispatches from this situation and now I want to publish it. And like the difference between that kind of writing and writing for publication is actually night and day. And it's a very, very, very unusual person who organically was writing those things in a way that a stranger would care, right? So the whole circle of people that they were writing for are people who already were invested in that story and who love that and there's a built-in connection between the writer and the audience. But when you're just out there writing for the general population, then you don't have that and you have to do the work of getting a stranger to care. So uh, what we're talking about is somebody coming to the point in their writing career where they're ready to say, I want to do what it takes to be read by strangers, to have people who don't know me and don't care about me respond to my work. And normally that moment demands some kind of investment. And it, it can be investment of time. It can be an investment of energy. It can be an investment of money and all of those things come into play when you hire a, a coach and so you're crossing a line right you're crossing a line where you're saying i'm ready to do what i have to do and to risk something that's the thing like publishing is risking so much it, it's risking rejection it's r risking ridicule it's risking oblivion like that nobody will care about what you wrote and so i'm working in a space as a book coach and as a ceo of author accelerator where i want to serve the writers writers who are ready to do that and and i want the writers who are not ready to do that to be scared <laughs> and not and not want to move forward for because there's other people that serve that, that other writer. And there's a lot of really good avenues and places you can go. I have a lot of friends and colleagues who run communities of writers that are, that are about um, creating a safe space just to write what you feel and getting comfortable with that process. And, but, but we're not the place to come. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really fair for you to be upfront about that and to let people know. And, you know, it's, um, not only not only are you hoping that your writers are taking it seriously you're showing them that you take them seriously as well um and oh i think that's a huge part of it and and we we do you know like i have this situation that just describes this perfectly i have a pretty new client who came to me 
to me personally as a book coach, and I'm even scarier. So when people come to me, they, they're shaking in their, their shoes. And, um, and she waited about six months to work with me because that's just how long it took and for me to have an open spot. And, and then when she started, um, she's, she's writing a, um, a how-to how sort of memoir hybrid. It was very interesting. I think it's very commercial. And she was just like this racehorse at the gate, just raring to go. And she just started spitting out pages and answer to the, the system and process that I have. And she was killing it. Like she was, everything she was writing, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so good, right? And she's killing it. And then we got to the part about maybe five deadlines in. Um, she has to do for a book proposal, a nonfiction book proposal, you have to do an annotated table of contents. So you're writing in very detail about a book that's not yet written. It's very hard to do and you have to do it really, really well in order to, to get a book deal. And um, all of a sudden it was like we just, the brakes just got put on a race car because whereas everything was going so great now i was just like there's only three pages long and i just kept saying nope 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 do it again do it again do it again and we've now been working on our table of contents for like a month and and i think we're on version 12 and she's getting super frustrated and i have to remind her this is the work this is why you come to me i'm not gonna let this out the door until it's right and it's not right and you know it's just like again and again and again you have to do it again and again and it's like if someone's not ready for that 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 process is just gonna tear them apart so yeah you know there there's it's a um it's striving for excellence there's a point at which that's what somebody's trying to do and they don't want to mess around anymore yeah and I, I mean like I said I was it scared me off but I I actually <laughs> really respect it no I genuinely respected that uh and it's something you know a lot of people it's like uh here's what it costs and you know whatever after that and and I don't think that that is the vibe that you give off and like the materials that you have released just uh there's this I think this outline uh I can't remember what it's called inside outside the inside outline yeah, exactly. What's interesting is there's a thing that makes me crazy. And, you know, there's, there's room for everyone doing whatever they want to do, right? But what makes me a little bit crazy in the writing space is the people who are promising quick wins, right? So it's like, you could write a book in 90 days, you can have a bestseller, <laughs> we can, you know, guarantee that you're going to get this or the, you know, like, you just have to speak your book out loud and we'll slap covers on it. And, you know, it, and it, it just, all those things, like there's people that that serves, I guess, because a lot of those businesses are doing really well. But for me, I, I just believe that writing well is really hard. I think it's really hard. And I think doing it well is, um, takes a lot of time and so I just am standing on the side of that line where where it's like you might not be able to get what you want you might not be able to do it you might not be a person who gets um an agent or a big readership you know you like there's there's no there's no guarantee but I also believe that the doing of it the practice of it is in itself very rewarding 
so it's it's kind of a um that's that's kind of where i where i stand it's like if you want to work hard like you're saying if you want to respect yourself and respect the work enough i want to meet you where you are and i'm going to give you you know pair you with the coach or with myself or whatever the situation is that we're going to meet you where you are and respect you and bring that and that's why it's so powerful yeah no and i think that really comes through so i think that's something really important this is not just an advert for author accelerator but i think it is something i think it's something to look for when you are thinking about it whether it's with you or somebody else is that like anybody that's promising you quick wins like you should be careful about that because like i mean it's a lot about there are a lot of different factors totally and there's a lot of different reasons to to choose who who you work with or where you find them there's so many great practitioners working in in the world helping writers but they're mixed up in a lot of that quick win mentality so i think you have to be careful yeah yeah well and i think right right now i mean not to you can't not acknowledge what is going on right now in the world and the whole situation (laughs) that we're all in um and i'm i'm guessing we're far enough in now that it's mid-may into all of this quarantine at home business that people are starting to understand that like maybe now is not the time to try to write that novel that you've been you know at the beginning there was all this optimism and I'm seeing a lot of um more reality sinking in for people um but I'm sure you do there are still people who are want I mean either it is their job already or it is something that they really care about and they are wanting to move forward with writing even if they're recognizing that it might be harder or it might be slower or it might be all of it all at once um yeah so one of the things that you've talked about is how do you know then when you have something worth pursuing as far as an idea or a story yeah well it's interesting that you bring up this time and this energy because because i'm finding um i really see both things playing out. Um, I just saw this morning, in fact, um, a tweet from Glennon Doyle, whose new book, can't remember the name of her new book. Untamed, I think. Thank you. I think I saw the same one. So I'm curious to see if we're talking. (laughs) Yeah, where she tweeted out and she said, yeah, just saying I haven't written a word since that's the one. (laughs) Went down, right? And like that energy is out there for sure. And, And just the psychic energy that it takes to even be alive right now. And Anybody who has kids at home, older parents, you know, essential jobs are still doing like, there's just no way. (laughs) And, and I think that that points to the, the reality that, that writing is a luxury. It is often something that you do when you're psychologically safe and actually physically safe and all of those other things. And so that I see that a lot of people just, they can't even. And, you know, so I do spend my time helping people feel like that's okay. Like that's, you've got to honor that. But I also am seeing the opposite, um, which is uh, a super pent up desire for people to take themselves seriously, to do something that they feel is meaningful. Um, people, a lot of people who've actually been furloughed in their jobs or they've lost their jobs, it becomes an, a chance to, to think like what matters to me, what's meaningful to me, what, how do I want to spend my time and, and my life? And they're finding 
time in all of the things to to go back to work they've left behind or to, to move something forward that they didn't previously had not been giving kind of the serious attention to and so it's interesting because i see both those and i'm sure there's a million points on that spectrum but i'm really seeing both strongly i can't do anything and then like i want to do all the things now and i'm not waiting anymore and you know sometimes it's just, the think, same person in the same day <laughs> totally. or like a different day right yeah yeah and so i think the question you asked me is was was it how how do you know like when to have that when to honor that energy that forward energy yeah and how do you know what because the other thing is um and part of what olivia and i have been talking about for the last three years on the here is there's always going to be something. I mean, it may not be a global pandemic, but it's going to, you're going to get a promotion at your job, or maybe you're going to decide you want to change careers or you're going to have a new baby or you're going to move or, you know, there's always a reason not to do writing or there is something that is going to take your time and energy. And it's, a, it, a lot of times will be something that is worth taking your time and energy. You know, it's not like, um, you're, I don't know, I don't even want to say anything is not worth your time and energy at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but it's not even so much that you shouldn't be spending your time and energy on this other thing, whatever it is that is not writing. Um, so it's, that's, that's always going to be attention and a, the tension and your attention um, kind of together. And so it's, once you kind of have decided, I guess the thing that a lot of people do is they they have an idea and then they get really excited about that idea and that becomes enough to at least temporarily push them to spending their energy um, on their writing. And then no matter how good your idea is, at some point you're going to just think this is the worst thing I've ever done. Um, so how do you know you've decided, okay, this is the time, whatever's going on, like, this is the time, I'm not going to do the dishes, I'm going to work on my amazing idea. How do you know if the idea is is worth it? And then later, when you hate it, you come back to it and remember that it is worth it. Like, what are the things that you look for <laughs> as a coach? Well, I mean, I just have to say that I think your guys approach and what you've been doing here is, is spot on, because I don't know anyone literally I don't know anyone who only writes like who only gets to sit around and write it even the most famous well-known people who get a lot of money writers I know there's really just not many people who who get to do that it's always on the margins in some ways and and even like if you talk to people who have big books coming out the the marketing and the publicity become this giant time suck and and writing the next book has to be done on the margins like it it you never just like what I always say is there's no cabin in the woods like you don't just get to go off the grid and and write for three months and so what you guys are doing here is is beautiful and powerful because it's the way it really works it's everybody that I know that has enjoyed some kind of success has done it on the margins of the rest of their life and so kind of realizing that and not letting that myth of the cabin in the woods get to you like if only or like you were saying as soon as i get the promotion as soon as my kids in kindergarten as soon as 
da, 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 da. There's always going to be something. And, you know, so the, the answer that I, uh, that I find has worked the best is that as soon as you have that good idea, you want to really put it to the test of why. Why do you care about this idea? Why does it matter to you? Why do you think that it could sustain you over one or two or three or five or 10 years it would take you to finish it? Why do you think you have the skill to bring it to life? Like, why are you the only person who could write this book? And if you can, if you can answer those why questions, because that gets at your motivation and that gets at your deep, your deep reasons for wanting to do this thing. And you know, your deep reasons could be like, your idea could be super frivolous. It could be, I want to, I want to write a, you know, a middle grade fantasy about dragons. This is the example I always give. And, but you could have some really deep level reasons for wanting to do that for why dragons, why middle grade, why fantasy, you know, they're very clear reasons why you're picking that and why you're not picking something else. And if you know those reasons, it's like the Simon Sanic thing, right? Start with why. It's like, if you know your reasons, then when it gets hard, because it's going to get hard, you can tap into that, those why, those why things. And they, they often go, the, the answers often go really, really deep to, to people, like about raising their voice or about fighting actual demons in their life or about fighting actual darkness in their life. I mean, writers are not normal, <laughs> you know, there's like, I often wonder what it would be like to be an expert in the realm of like gardening or just a totally different thing. I just don't feel like people garden because of darkness or deep seated, you know what I mean? Like, I just, or like knitting, people love to knit and I, and I mean, I guess it's quite soothing. It's not soothing for me because I'm super uptight about counting and all the things but I suppose there's a soothing element to that sort of craft making things with your hands but but writers usually have deep stuff that that is propelling them to want to speak and to want to say something and if it's just tapping into that and knowing that and and I find um a good trick is to to walk away from it Leave, leave it alone um, and see if you can. And if you can leave it alone and take up gardening, do it because, you know, you'll get some sweet tomatoes and <laughs> I think it would be just way better than the torture of writing. Um, but if you can't, then it's like, okay, I got to look at why this is calling to me and why I feel compelled to do this and follow that lead. And that's what's going to get you through. And I think the people who can identify that why and hold on to it um, are the ones that finish because an idea, ideas are cheap, you know? I mean, I have a good idea every second. I had a great <laughs> idea last night at the dinner table, in fact. <laughs> I will share it. Somebody <laughs> can take it because I'm not going to do it. But it was so good. We were um, <laughs> at the dinner table, we were saying, what is what if I'm going to like reveal my politics here, but I think it's okay. What if Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and, and people tried to hide it <laughs> <laughs> six months till after the, you know, election or right before it or whatever, like 
what a great idea. Am I right? That's like, a great idea. Right? Yeah. Such a great idea. It kind of has that. Um, oh, what's that movie where they carry the dead body around? Weekend um, at Bernie's. Yeah. And also Little Miss Sunshine. It has like yeah. that vibe. To it. Yeah. But but they're hiding her body. <laughs> they're trying to pretend her, right? Like such a good idea. And when we had this idea, we were cracking up and we were like, this is brilliant. We should totally do this. And I know like this is less than 24 hours after I had that idea. I know I'm not going to do, I'm not going to write that book. I'm not doing it because it, it's a great idea, but it has no connection to, to any why that I would have, you know, so you've got to have that. Otherwise I'm going to have another great idea at dinner tonight, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you can't start in a new project every day, although you should see mine and Megan's uh, chat because <laughs> we're just constantly like, hey, what about this? Right. Whatever. Well, yeah. and that's actually something I find to be quite true. So with people who have ideas, they usually have a lot. So usually when you have one idea, you don't just, you have 10 that follow, you know, and, and I just like, I have an idea a minute and I always think they're really good. I'm like, this is the best idea, you know, and <laughs> One of the things that I learned as a business person and an entrepreneur is is that just really how cheap ideas are, and and that the all the good ideas are going to get in the way of producing or or accomplishing anything. That you know, in many cases, they become um, it's a procrastination thing. Like I have another great idea, I'm going to think about that instead, or ooh, I have this other one, I'm going to do that instead, and and then you're never doing the work and you know, part of it is because if you keep having good ideas, you don't have to get to that point of risk or rejection. It's safe. It's so there's a, you know, there's that having all the ideas thing. There's also the thing of getting right up to the point where you're going to finish and then saying, ah, I'm going to start all over again. Or, you know, I'm going to do another idea now. That's another form of that same thing. It's self-protection. So, you know, it's, it's if you have a bunch of ideas and and you know I help people through this point a lot so they'll come and they'll be like okay I have three books I want to write which one should I do first <laughs> and um so what I always do is I ask them to write their why for each one of those ideas and then um and then to think about what it would be like to not do that idea how would they feel if they walked away from that idea and to sort of rank them and like we play with the the value of those ideas to them and you know literally ranking why does this mean something to me and and it and being really serious about that because they might say something like well i think this idea could really make a lot of money or like let's take my R rgb idea you know it would be like that would make an amazing movie so that could be a, a value that i put on it and then i would probably think to myself what, why do I, why would I want to have that sell to a movie? Well, it'd make a ton of money. So why does that matter to me? How much money do I, what I need and, and want? And what is it, how does that play in? And then also what are the odds of actually it really getting to be made a movie? Like really talking through, taking the ideas seriously enough to think them through like that. And, you know, you've got to have the, the motivations that mean something to you or they're just going to fizzle. I love that. I also feel really, as somebody who has like one, <laughs> a couple weeks left in their first draft of their novel, I feel a little <gasps> bit attacked by this. But um, like, 
as an aside, so to go down a different path, and this is not related, I'm sure, to the fact that I'm scared of finishing this book. Uh, what if you like wrote another book twice and you gave up on it and then like you really still think about it? Like, should you go back to it? hundred percent. For a friend. <laughs> First yeah. step never dies. A hundred percent. Because I mean, so here's, here's, there's an Ira Glass quote. We could pull it up and put it in the show notes. That's um, a lot of people refer to. I think it's just genius. He talks about that what's so hard about creating anything is the gap between your taste, right? And your ability to pull it off. And so what, what happens is that you have this vision in your head of what your novel should be. And like, you're getting right up to the end and you know that it's not as good as the vision that you had of it because the vision you had of it was frictionless. It lives in a perfect world. It's in your head. It's perfect. And the thing on the page, you know, has problems because everything does. And, you know, so you know where you sort of didn't get that character right or where it sort of slows down or where there's like a little logic leap you hope your <laughs> reader's going to make. Like, you know, that stuff is, you made it, you know, it's there. And what's so hard is taking the risk of taking that out into the world, knowing other people are going to see those things. And and question your taste and question your ability. And it's not like rejection sounds, the word rejection sounds harsh, but it's, it's even worse than it sounds, right? It's like, it's, it's like judgment on, on the thing you made. Like it's really deeply disturbing. And, and most adults, I think, have spent our whole lives trying to do things that we're good at. <laughs> and that we're not going to get um, torn apart for. And you know that that that's going to happen to this book of yours. And in the opposite of that is holding on to that fantasy that I'm going to get my dream agent and then I'm going to get like a seven-figure book deal and I'm going to get a movie and then um, I'm going to quit my day job. Like holding on to the fantasy lets you not imagine that the things that are really going to happen that are going to be horrible, which is you're going to get a horrible review. Somebody is going to question your talent and ability. Somebody is going to say, this was a dumb idea. You know, somebody's going to say, this would have been really great in the hands of a more accomplished, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. like your most, your worst nightmare. And I like to have people, and this is something that I would suggest to you actually, Olivia, is write your nightmare review but like really the nightmare, like that you don't want to show anyone what they would really say about your book. And it helps so much to, to write it for, for two reasons. First, it just feels better when it's out of your head and on the page. You can see it. You can be like, yep, this is the nightmare. And then you can think, what would I do if this actually happened? Like, who would I call to cry with? Who would I like, you know, what would I actually, who would be the worst person to see this review? Like really think about that. And then the other thing is often when you do that, it reveals to you what's actually weakest about the book. Cause you know, you know, and then you can just make peace with that and be like, okay, so, uh, it, this piece isn't great. I'm okay with that. I'm going to, I'm going to move on. So it's bringing kind of a intentional awareness to the fear and, and not trying to dismiss the fear because 
it's freaking scary. It's terrifying. And, you know, to pretend otherwise is, is not helpful, but, you know, everybody has their first book or every book is a moment in time. And, and that I like to talk about that because um, I think a lot about the craft of dance. Um, I'm not a dancer, but I, at all, my kids weren't dancers. Like I know nothing about it, but um, I read a book by a New Yorker dance critic. It's called something like, I'll get the title of it. It's called something like um, 27 Geniuses and Three Saints or something like, like that. And it was this collection of dance criticism, like how I came upon this book, I do not know, but it's the most beautiful book about creation and art because dance happens at a moment in time. It's, it's like one moment in time. The person is there, they're moving their body through space and you either see it or you capture on a video and, and that's it, that's it. It's like they moved, they danced, end of story. And, and writing has this weird thing that unfolds over such a long period of time that it feels like it represents your whole self. But it is actually just a moment in time. And there's a moment in time, like Olivia, you're gonna come up on this in a, in a few weeks, that you're gonna call it done, right? It's done. I'm done. And you're going to send it out into the world and maybe other people will work with you on it. And then there's going to be another moment where it's like a publisher would call it done. Or if you're self-publishing, you call it done. It's going to the press. That's it. That's the moment. There's a moment in time that that book represents. And it's okay if that, if you look back on that even five minutes later and think I could have done better. Like it's okay because you know, you did it. Like I recently had the most bizarre experience. Um, I got, um, are you guys familiar with BookBub? They're a um, ebook discovery uh, yeah. thing. My daughter actually works for them, but this story is totally unrelated to that. So I got this email with my BookBub thing, you know, like the deal of the day or whatever. And, and I, it was in an aggregated, um, I get like my newsletters kind of aggregated and in a rolled up thing and, and they present them to you. So I was spinning through and it was like, here's your book of the day. And it was my book. It was my book that I had nothing to do with on this book club thing. And it was a book I wrote 20 years ago. It was my first novel that I wrote 20 years ago. And I was like, Oh my gosh, my book is the deal of the day. Like that's so weird. And I, um, and I had this really bizarre experience where I was like, I don't remember the protagonist's name. I don't remember what happened at the end of that book. I, I, there's like a, it's about a house and it, there's an essay contest for this house. And I don't remember what happened. And, and I had this weird thing of like this weird disconnect. Like it wasn't mine anymore. You know, like I made it, I made it 20 years ago. It was the start of my career. It was the first novel I wrote. It was a moment in time. And past and people still read it or like it or don't or what have you but it felt super disconnected from me and I think that's a healthy thing to remember that's going to happen that you're going to write other books you're going to write better books you're going to write things that matter more to you like that moment in time I'm super proud of that moment in time I might not be particularly proud of that book if I were to go read it I might cringe right or I might say oh, I do so much better with that book today but guess what? I wrote that book 20 years ago, not today. So, 
you know, it's kind of recognizing that, um, that it's more like dance than we think it is that, that it's just, here's a moment. And, and I did this and, and now that moment's gone. <laughs> I don't know if that helps. It does help. It does. And, um, no, I, like, I think all of that is really deep as well. Like the thinking about the why, it really has made me think about several things. So now I've got a lot of homework <laughs> after, I finish, after I finish this draft. <laughs> and I'm going to write down the name of that book so I can find it because it's, it's really quite a beautiful book. Yeah, you have to wait until you finish the draft, though. Or you can do... I will. Like one of the things that I've been doing to kind of manage my distraction and my kind of shiny... Because I'm halfway through... a probably I don't know it's either the third or the fourth <laughs> draft of my current project and my notes conflict um anyway it feels like the millionth draft but I'm about halfway through and I'm kind of at the part that's the worst because it's in the middle and it's the worst to write and it's the worst to revise and I'm just like oh this is terrible I just want to move on to this other thing and so I'm using the other thing as like my reward. Like that is the fun thing I can do after I spend an hour revising. And it's really helped me like change my, cause I used to, I used to try to think, um, I really like the book make time by, um, Jake Knapp and John Zaratsky. And one of the things I that, that never heard of this book, it is I... fantastic. It's really just like a hundred quick ideas for, um, kind of planning what you want to do with your, not just your day, but kind of your life. And their kind of, their key point is that you have, um, you pick a highlight of every day and it's, what is the thing of your day that when you look back on it, like that you, you pick something that you want to make literally like this was the highlight of my day. This was the best part of my day. And sometimes it's getting, and, and I tend to be, I'm a personality type where Everything I want to pick for that is like a work task. You know, I'm going <laughs> I'm going to say the highlight of my day was revising my book for an hour. Guess what? <laughs> that is baloney. Like that is never the highlight of my day. I'm always miserable. It makes me sad. And then I feel guilty because I didn't actually do it. Um, but the other thing that they say is that you like pick tactics that are going to help you like reach that highlight. And so maybe the highlight of my day is actually spending an hour reading the letters of this like Victorian writer that I'm really into and want to write a book about, but I haven't. Well, so my tactic to get there is like, I'll have to clear the other stuff off my plate first so I can enjoy that. Right. And then that hour of revising my book is it's no longer I'm no longer like giving it that pressure of making it. The highlight of my day. Um, yeah, yeah. You know. No, I think that's really smart because it's that kind of goes to what we were talking about at the beginning is that writing a book and revising it is really hard work. It's really hard intellectual work. It's there's layers and layers and layers you're trying to thread together, and there's it's like a really good novel has deep levels of logic. It's it's people forget that it's not just here's my pretty sentence or here's my cool scene or here's this cool character or this cool thing happens. It is an exercise in logic and it has to hold together. And when you're revising, that's what you're doing. It's very analytic work and it's hard. And, you know, so people, you can't sit down and do that for eight hours a day. Like an hour a day is, is a lot to do that, you know? So I think recognizing that that's hard and tapping into your why of doing it. And, you know, I happen to um, 
really love revision. I, it's my favorite part of the process because it's where, I feel like it's where the books really become what they're meant to be. It's, it's like they really come into their own and, and you're free to, um, oh, there's a, a, a quote by Susan Bell who wrote a book called Artful Edit. And she says, we write into a black hole, but we edit into a universe. It's like you've made a universe, you've made a thing and making it a better thing, I think is really fun. But like, I have a task right now with one of my clients whose book is um, about a third too long. Her word count is about a third too long. It's a lot too long. And she has to cut out a lot in order to make a proper word count. <laughs> And so she asked me to help her with that. And um, so I'm doing these 80 page chunks where I take 80 pages and I have to take out like 25 pages. And it's, it's not just here's 25 pages, right? It's like word by word and it's like using a scalpel. And when I look at that on my calendar, I'm like, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so hard. You know, probably what you're doing with your revision thing. And and then I, I do it. And when I'm doing it, I try to feel the flow of it. Like it's, it's kind of fun if I, if I let myself kind of tap into what's fun about it. Um, but getting to it is really hard and getting over that kind of, um, you know, it, this is going to be hard. And what I've learned is that hard, it's like, what does that even mean? So what it means is like, this is going to take a lot of my analytic logic brain and my analytic logic brain is kind of tapped out right now and, you know, kind of naming why it's hard and that sometimes helps. Um, but yeah, I, I think those, those strategies you're using are really, really good. And just because you hate revision or you hate a task you have to do related to the whole doesn't mean you hate your book or that it's a bad idea or a bad book it you know like what two or three year project does anybody do where they love every piece of it like none you know and if you speak to anyone like um you know people who build houses for example there's parts that they love and parts that they don't or people who do people taxes, which sounds to me like hell on earth, but like there's, you know, <laughs> things about it they love and things about it that they don't love. And was, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert in um, Big Magic talks about, um, isn't that right? She talks about like putting up, she calls it a shit sandwich, like putting up with the worst part of the work that if you can tolerate the worst part of that job's work, you're going to be good at it. And, you know, so like the worst part of your writing of this book, Megan, might just be, all right, the revision was the shit part of this work, but <laughs> look, I did it, you know, I got through it and the other parts are going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, we can hope. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, but the book about the Victorian letter sounds pretty cool too. <laughs> yeah. She will write a very good book after she finishes this one. Yeah. I have to finish well, that's, one, but. that's something I talk about a lot that is not is not a very uplifting idea but the idea <laughs> that maybe people's first book they write is not the first book that they publish maybe yeah. we should let go of that idea you know like yeah. I 
I've sometimes said, what if we were to say that, like going to college, like it's going to take you four years to write your first book and you're not going to have a job with it when you're done. <laughs> you're going to have yeah, skills and you're going to have experience and you're going to have knowledge, but you don't, you're not going to graduate doing the thing, right? You don't get to graduate from whatever major you're in and go do the thing. You have to go be low man on the totem pole. So like, what if we said, okay, it's going to be four years. You're going to write this book and nothing's going to happen to it. And then you're going to write another book and that's the one that's going to do well. I love um, that. I don't yeah. think it's a terribly popular or viable idea, but I think it would work really well. No, I like it. We're so obsessed with the debut novel, but that doesn't, just because it's debuted doesn't mean that they didn't ever write anything before that. Yeah. Right? Like, and, well, I've read some of my favorite writers' debut novels and been like, yikes. So, you right. know, I mean, <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't read them first. I have a client, I always call her my favorite client, which I know I'm not supposed to, but she is. And the reason she is, is she's taught me so much about, about doing this work. And she's retired and um, she had a very big career on Capitol Hill. And there were two things that she wanted to do in her retirement. One was to learn how to play the cello and one was to learn how to write a novel. And I've been working with her for about three years and she came to me and asked me to help her with this. And I said, no, I, and I said, I don't help people learn how to write a novel. That's not what I do. Like, you don't want to pay me and I don't want to do that. And, and she was very insistent. And, and so I, I sort of bent, bent and, I, and I worked with her. And the reason it's just been so extraordinary, she has the privilege of time, like she's retired and she has the privilege of money and she has the privilege of just the space to do these things and learn them. And her intention was to learn. It was not teach me how to write a bestseller or teach me how to write a, write a novel that's going to sell. So she wrote a novel. It took her about a year and a half. It was good. It was not great, but it was, it was way better than where she started. And she sort of assessed it and she said, okay, I did it. Now I want to do it again and do it better. And she started immediately in on um, her second novel. And right now she, she's the one who's got the way over word count that I'm, that I'm <laughs> working on. And um, this, this book she wrote, I mean, it's, it's actually like on a scale of one to hundred, her first novel was maybe like, a, I don't know, 22. It was, it was like, it was good. Right. But this one is really like it's really getting up there in terms of of excellence and quality and beauty and there's times when i read drafts even though i know exactly what's going to happen there's times when i'm reading pages when i'm just swept into it and swept away like she's achieved the thing we all want and and i just think about this so much because most of us don't have those privileges that she has and especially your listeners they're listening precisely because they don't have those privileges. But if we could bring some of that to the work, like some of that, like what is it? It's a lack of urgency, right? It's a lack of putting pressure on performance, like not being performative about the work, of, of letting the work become what it needs to become. And if we could 
allow for some of that in our in our work even though we have a limited time and you know always feels like the clock is ticking like if i don't do that this year if i don't publish this book this year if i don't finish if i don't whatever i'm gonna die or whatever the thought you have in your head <laughs> i remember very clearly i'm about to turn 56 and i remember very clearly thinking if i don't publish a book by the time i'm 25 it'll all be over you know it's got to be i've got to get it and i actually did i did publish a book very young and um was not a very good book but I had that, I remember very clearly having that sense, which is ridiculous. So, you know, if we could bring some of that, I don't know what you call it, softness or self-forgiveness or something into the, into the work that when you have your hour and you've carved out your hour, you don't put so much pressure on the hour, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think part of it is like, I was just thinking as you were talking and also thinking about your dance metaphor, but thinking about music. I've been thinking a lot about music and how it relates to the writing process. But nobody's like, I've got a violin. I'm going to make an album this year. You right? know? Like, it's like, I need to learn how to play this thing. And then, I mean, no one even thinks they're going to turn it into professional art, usually at the amateur stage. But it's like, oh, I learned how to write in school. So like, here we go. Like I have all the skills, like we're on the journey now. And that's not necessary. I really like your university analogy because I mean, we, Meg and I have a joke at the moment, which is like <laughs> first novel never dies uh, or f first book never dies. Like that first thing you write is just like drags around behind you, like some yeah. old luggage, you know, but like, actually, if you let it go and you're like, that was my undergrad thesis you right? know, or whatever. And it's like, it's okay that it's finished. And I love yeah. that violin idea because it's so like, actually nobody, nobody thinks I'm going to play Carnegie Hall, but that's what we're doing when we think I'm going to get a big book deal and hit the New York Times bestseller list. But people actually think that that's what's going to happen to them. And yeah. why do we not think that with a violinist, but we think that with a, with a novelist, yeah. you know, no. ourselves a little bit, a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really, I really like that. And just approaching it like you're learning. And if at the end you think this is actually pretty not bad, then do something with it. But if not, it's like you learned a lot, definitely. So I think that's really yeah. good. Yeah. And there's the market will tell you if it's not good enough. That's the beautiful thing about the market. Like sometimes the market gets it wrong. I've seen the market get it wrong. And it's very painful when that happens, when, when somebody's written something really quality and it doesn't break through and get noticed but you know if you're if you're sending your novel out if you're trying to get traditionally published and you have 50 agents tell you the same thing I mean I would not I would not let that happen with a client of mine like if you get 10 agents telling you the same thing there's something wrong like you know like the market will tell you or you know you can't sell it right now because you know Suzanne Collins just came out with a book on the same topic or the same thing and and it's everywhere and your timing is bad or you know like the market will tell you so you can you can certainly try and um you know then respond if that's what happens and put it in a drawer and write the next one <laughs> yeah yeah and it's not so scary no i really appreciate that i really like that yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're in it. You're both in an exciting place. Almost done revising. These are, these are fun, fun places to be. Yeah. And these are our, I guess, to continue your university metaphor, these are our entry level books. 
So that's awesome, which is even better. Yeah, because we know. did our we did our undergrad theses. Yep. This might be a master's thesis. I hope it's like <laughs> right. I hope it's bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, and you never know. Sometimes people's first books do well. You know, you never yeah. know. But I think it's awesome. Yeah. No, I mean, what you guys are doing is is really. Um, it's like writing in the real world. That's what I always say is that's people got to write in the real world. And, and that's what you guys are talking about and helping people with. And it's like you said at the beginning, it might be a job. It might be kids right now. It might be, you know, like I have two 80 year old parents that don't live together. So they're two separate households that I'm having to deal with and, um, and manage and in the middle of everything, getting called into that. And it's just like, you know, really, that's not what I want to be doing right now, but you know, it's what we have. It's the real world. And, um, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing to, to make something and make time to make something within the context of, of everything else that people are going through. And just to remember nobody Nobody has it easy. Nobody has that cabin in woods. Well, except for this client of mine that I just told you about. <laughs> she does, but she's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I can wait till I retire for that as well. That's fine. <laughs> right? I know. I think about that. What would I say I want to do? I don't know. Not that you're. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. Um, I'm conscious of time for you and us, I guess. And, but like, this was, I, I really appreciate the work that you do. I really appreciate everything that you've said. I feel like after we edit this, which is listening to it like six more times, I'll probably still listen to it again because I really think that mm -hmm. a lot of what you said is really valuable. Thank you guys. Well, I'm, I'm happy to come back or if it does well or people are interested or what have you. Um, it's, it's super fun to, to chat with you and I love, I love what you're doing and it's awesome. Thank you oh, thank so you. much. We love what you're um, doing. So it's all yeah, same. Just like a circle of everybody loving each other. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good thing about what KJ and Jess, they're also like part of our love circle. And... Yeah. Well, and it's something I think that's actually worth saying out loud, which is there's room for everybody. And that's yeah. a really powerful thing about the writing world is like, if your novel does well, there's still room for yours. There's still room for one I might write. There's still room, you know, there's room for everybody because we need all the stories and yeah. maybe, maybe not this time, you know, for this novel or what have you, but, but there's, um, there's a beautiful quote that Jennifer Egan, um, who's, been president of Penn America. Um, and she, I just saw this interview with her and she said this amazing quote, I have it on my Instagram so I can, I can look it up, but it was um, something about what's powerful about writers is we don't have to have permission to do what we do. You don't have to get hired to do, to give yourself the permission. And there's something really powerful about that, that you are called to an idea, you get to decide to do it. And, you know, nobody can stop you. And I love that. I think it's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said about having room for everyone. Um, there's that's something that Jess Leahy mentioned on their podcast when she they interviewed um, Julie Lithcott Haynes and how no one ever says, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna read like one parenting book or one, you know, they read one vampire book and they're like, all right, well, I've read, that's it. No more 
whatever, you know, no more cozy detective mysteries. I'm done. Like no more books about bookshop owners. (laughs) Like I read, I read one and that's plenty. It's, it's not like that. Um, No, it is really not. No. And that's really fun to talk to readers because when you get in that, you know, it's like, have you read that? Have you read that? Oh, I totally read that. And did you read this one? And da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. And and there it's there's an endless um, demand because people love the books, you know? Yeah. And that's it for this week. I know. You can find us online so at marginallypodcast.com and on Instagram at marginallypodcast. Our email is podcast at marginallypodcast.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our newsletter. The sign-up form is on our website. And if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review in your podcast app and or sharing an episode with a friend. This will help us to grow our community. Thanks for listening and happy writing. Marginally is produced by the two of us, Megan and Olivia. So excuse any amateur issues. We're working on it. Theme music is It's Time by Skarika Rikaska. Show notes for every episode are available at marginallypodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Marginally, you might also enjoy one of our favorite podcasts, Hashtag Am Writing with Jess and KJ. Every episode is full of great information and encouragement. Look for it wherever you get your podcasts or find the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening.